we continue our, our course of instruction in the school that is Lent, school of the spiritual life, school of the heart. We started this second week on the mountain of the Transfiguration, where we saw Jesus transfigured in glory. He was talking with Moses and Elijah, and they were talking about what was going to happen in Jerusalem, meaning the very thing that he speaks about in today's gospel, his death and resurrection. So at the very time when his glory is being revealed, he's talking with Moses and Elijah about the process by which he will come to this this condition permanently in the resurrection. So there's a connection between glory and the passion. There's a connection between Easter and Lent. And then in the middle of this second week, we get this gospel today where Jesus explains very clearly to the twelve how this is going to work, what's going to happen in Jerusalem. The very thing he was talking with Moses and Elijah about, he wants his disciples to know. And this is the third time he has predicted his passion, death, and resurrection. Immediately after that clear description of what's going to happen, along comes the mother of the sons of Zebedee with her sons, James and John, to ask for this great privilege of sitting at the right and at the left of Jesus when he, when he enters into his glory. So this is, a, this is this, there's an interesting thing going on here, and I hope we can ponder it together. Um, you notice that Jesus doesn't reprimand the mother at all for her seeming ambition. He doesn't even reprimand James and John. What he does is correct them for their omission of the process involved. But he doesn't say, you're not going to enter into glory. He doesn't even say that he won't be at the right, that they won't be at the right and at the left. All he says is that's not his decision to make. That's up to the Father. So it's a very interesting thing he does here. He, in some ways, affirms the ambition to glory, or at least doesn't doesn't correct them for it. Now, if you look in, in the earlier passages of the Gospel, you can see what's building up here. First of all, the Transfiguration. We saw that on Sunday. Although on Sunday we read Mark's version. Here we read Matthew's version. If you, if you look at the progression of Matthew's Gospel, it's a little bit clearer, although it's very similar to Mark. But in Matthew's Gospel, after the Transfiguration, they come down the mountain. There's a bunch of other things that happen. They, he, they have this... Uh, possessed boy, and then the, Jesus meets with a rich young man. Uh, and then at some point after that, the apostles say, uh, Peter says, well, we, we've given up everything to follow you. What, what's in it for us? And Jesus says, when, when I enter into my reign, when I'm seated on my throne in glory, the 12 of you are going to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. He says that you're going to sit on thrones. So it's not as if James and John have come up with this idea on their own. Jesus himself said, you're going to sit on the throne and you're going to be a judge of the people. So it's quite an exalted uh, future that Jesus 
reveals to them. Now, we learned on Sunday that Jesus told the apostles, not to, those three, Peter, James, and John, not to tell anybody about, about what they saw. So let's take it for granted that they didn't tell their mother that they saw Jesus in glory. But they might have told their mother what Jesus said about sitting on a throne. And their mother, mothers are pretty good at this, might have picked up on their, their renewed enthusiasm for following the Lord. She might have realized, hey, there's, there's something great in store for my boys. Uh, let me see if I can you know, pull a few strings here. <laughs> and that's very easy to imagine. And almost any mother would do that. And that's not a bad thing, as long as it doesn't violate the will of God. Now, there's a little more involved here. If you look up the, this woman, the tradition identifies her as Salome, or sometimes Mary Salome, one of the disciples of Jesus. A Salome, uh, in Mark's Gospel, went to the tomb uh, when Jesus was buried, and when he on, on Easter Sunday to one of the one of the three Marys. So that's why some people refer to her as Mary Salome, and one of the Marys. And uh, Matthew's Gospel says that at the tomb there was Mary, Mary the, 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 his mother's sister, and then Mary Magdalene and somebody else. And so there's some speculation that this Salome might be related to the Blessed Virgin Mary somehow. Now, we, Catholic tradition is that Mary was an only child. The Blessed Virgin Mary is an only child, so maybe not. They were not sisters, but maybe cousins or some kind of relatives. So if Salome and the Blessed Virgin are relatives, that would make Jesus and James and John relatives too, some kind of cousins. And then you could say, well, maybe so. I mean, we don't know. But if it's so, you can imagine why their mother might feel a little bit more, how can I say, she would, a little more confident <laughs> to make this request. Like she's, you know, she's got an inside line. Her boys are already in the inner circle and she's related to, she's in the family, so she can make this special request. Why don't you, you know, put them up a little higher? Okay, so that's all human dynamics and not all bad, but it has to be purified. And the way that it's purified, and this is true for us now, we have to get our own, our own uh, journey in the picture here. The way that our desire for glory is purified is by following Jesus through the process of the passion. What Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's the process that leads to reigning in glory. And they're inseparable. The process and the, and the result are inseparable. You can't say, I'm going to reign in glory. I'm going to jump from here to there. I'm not, you can't go from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain without climbing. It just doesn't work. That's not how it, how it works. So uh, Jesus here tries to... He's already spoken clearly about what's going to happen. But he tries to get the two sons, the two brothers, to, to, to understand more fully what's going on here. He, he doesn't really address the mother at all. In Mark's Gospel, the mother doesn't even show up, so that's a little bit strange. But anyway, he, he really speaks to the two brothers, and he says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Not that, it, not that it's, 
You don't know what it means to sit in glory. Of course we don't know what that means. But you don't even know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about what's happening in Jerusalem. So he says, can you drink the chalice that I am going to drink? And they say, we can. Maybe they don't know what he's talking about in that symbolism of the chalice, but that is a well-established biblical symbol of suffering. The chalice is, to drink the chalice is to share in suffering. It comes from the Old Testament. Uh, they say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no problem. Let's get on to the glory part. And then he says, you will drink my chalice, yes, but it's not up to me to decide where you sit. Now, if you know good religious artwork, you know that in, in uh, pictures of Jesus reigning in glory, <clears throat> the one that is right and that is left, one is always the Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> she has a special place. Uh, not only at the cross, like she's depicted here, but in, in glory. Uh, and who's, who's the other one? Well, we talked about this in, in the days of St. Joseph, when the year of St. Joseph. Well, maybe it's St. Joseph. Some people say it's John the Baptist. Uh, so, I, I don't know, but uh, probably St. Joseph. Anyway, then Jesus goes on to explain that the process of rising to greatness is by humble service. Just like I'm doing, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. That's what you are to do. If you want to reach the goal, which you justly have in your heart, to reach the goal of glory. Okay, so that's the process, that's the instruction for us. Now, the first reading gives us a little bit more to reflect on here, on this process and how it applies to each one of us. Now, what, what this reading from Jeremiah brings out is the decision of Jeremiah's listeners to eliminate him. And, and Jeremiah is the one speaking, but he says, I, I can hear them talking about me, they're plotting against my life. Lord, it, it, you know, listen to what's going on here. I'm, here. I'm doing your will, here I am taking their side, and they're out to get me. But the, the, the reasoning of his enemies is what I'd like to focus on here. Let us contrive a plot against Jeremiah. It will not mean the loss of instruction from the priests, nor of counsel from the wise, nor of messages from the prophets. So let's get rid of Jeremiah and everything will be fine because we still have prophets around, we've got wise men around, we still have the priests. So uh, all we have to do is get rid of Jeremiah and everything will be fine. Now, what, I, what I'd like to point out here is the danger, this is true of any of us, of Choosing one thing in our life, one evil, one vice, one weakness that we're not going to correct, and thinking that if we just leave that one aside and, and improve ourselves in every other way, that we'll be fine. And that is a disaster in the spiritual life. And especially in Lent, our focus is not on everything that's going fine. Our focus is on that area of our life where we are at fault, where we are weak, where we do tend to sin. And anyone who, who goes to confession regularly knows it's usually the same sin every time. So there's a certain weakness in our nature that has to be purified, has to be drawn up before the Lord and his mercy. And we can't just skip over it and say, I'll just, I won't deal with my my problem of lying or my problem of greed or my problem of lust or my problem of pride or arrogance or whatever my hot temper, whatever it might be, 
you can't say, I won't deal with that one. I'll let that one remain and just pray more. No, no. Because that's like saying, let's just get rid of Jeremiah and keep all the other good stuff. Why is it a disaster? Because as soon as we decide, and this is where sin comes in, as soon as we decide for sin, we, we corrupt the whole spiritual person. Because that decision itself is what blocks the flow of grace. So this decision against Jeremiah, they say, we'll still have the priests and the prophets and the wives. No, they won't. No, they won't, because they won't be able to receive the benefit of the priests and the prophets and the wives because of their own decision against Jeremiah, their own decision against the word of God, the word that makes them feel guilty or challenges them to change. Okay, this is Lent. It's, this is the time for us to let the Word of God challenge us, to let the, the Jeremiah, the, the, the prophetic word that disturbs us, to let that sink in, not to avoid it or, or eliminate it, not to make decisions against what is actually good for us. This is where, this is where we're, our focus is. So here we are, second week of Lent. We are striving for transfiguration. Yes, we, we, we want the glory that God wants for us, and that's good. But we cannot bypass the difficult process by which our sin is exposed and healed. So where James and John and our mother <laughs> is, is interceding for us, but the way is the way of the cross.